0: Uh, and so this morning we're going to look at this a bit of an, an obscure passage that uh, if you've been part of the church or if you've uh, gone to Bible studies or whatnot, you may be familiar uh, and, and we're going to read it. But let me just set it up real quick. Uh, it's the story of this guy who, who, who st- stay with me here, uh, he gets demon possessed by several demons. Uh, and, and as he's possessed, he encounters Jesus. Uh, And the the demons inside of this man see Jesus, uh, and the demons through this man uh, gets afraid and says, Jesus, whatever you do, please don't kill me. Please don't throw me into the abyss. And so there's this, uh, a bit of a a negotiation between the two. And finally, uh, this happens where Jesus throws the demons out of the person's body and into uh, swine, into pigs, and they fell off a cliff and died. Uh, and so there's this story in there that really talks about this idea of demons. And I know oftentimes in the church, we don't want to talk about it, uh, though, though we must because it's in the scriptures. And I, and I do believe that this world is bigger than of ourselves. And we've talked about this. That we would be foolish to think that we live in a world and we're alive to only believe that all there is about humanity is just us humans, uh, that, that through the scriptures, we are convinced that there is a bigger world between, uh, between God, between the demons, between uh, the evil one, between the divine. All, all that is happening, even in our lives, in subtle ways. And so there's that movie quote where it says, the biggest trick that the devil played on us is to trick us to, be, to think that he doesn't exist. But so this morning, we're, we're going to look at the story of demons, uh, but also ask another question. It is what if this idea of demons enter, enters into our lives and our minds and our souls uh, in a very different way than this hyper-spiritual way that we've even talked about before, but, but in much subtle ways? And, and so if, you, if you've ever used the term uh. Having, uh, having demons within us. Oh, or, man, there's some demons I have to deal with. Or, or everybody has their own demons. And, and for most of us, when we use that phrase, we're not necessarily talking about this metaphysical world about actual spiritual demons necessarily. Though, again, that is real. We've talked about it. But what if... There are moments in our lives when we truly ask the question, man, there are some demons within me that I have to deal with. And if you've ever asked that question, if you've ever felt like you've had demons, uh, I think God has something to say to you and to me and to us as a church. And let me start off with Luke chapter 8, verse 26. It says that, uh, then they arrived at the country of Gerasenes, which is the opposite of Galilee. So, if you were with us last week, Jesus and his, his crew—they went uh, from the Sea of Galilee to the, the Tiberias of Galilee to the other side side of the lake. And now we are—they're uh, coming back. And it says, "Then they arrived at the country of Gerasenes, which is the opposite Galilee. Uh, as they stepped out, a man uh, stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him." For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in the house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice. And he says this, what do you have? What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, uh, but he would not break the bonds uh, and be driven by the demons into the wild. But he would. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? He said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them back into the abyss. We're, we're talking about demons and, and we see that this man was possessed by demons but I really want to ask you this question today it is do we need to deal with even our own most inner selves demons that we have within ourselves and, and so there's three things that I want to talk about and this is the direction we're going today is that number one I would say yes we all have our own demons That is just the reality of life. Whether you are a believer of Jesus, whether you're not, you can use a different phrase, uh, but we all have demons, these inner part of ourselves that nobody knows that we have to deal with. And secondly, that within that darkness that these demons drive us into, that Christ shines light into those spaces and exposes them. Christ exposes the demons in our own selves, And lastly, the exposure from Christ's light brings healing and redemption. Brings healing and redemption. I'm going to ask you to imagine something with me. Now, this is going to be kind of scary and a little intimidating, but let me let me just ask you to, to imagine this. Let's just say. Uh, that in our daily lives, or maybe even just today, uh, something happens where we wake up. Uh, and as we walk around, there's this, ima- or there's this floating screen above our heads. Where everyone else that encounters you can see. Uh, and in that screen is, is data, is this information. It, it's kind of this ongoing ticker uh, of the things that you're thinking uh, of the places that you've gone of the mistakes that you've made of regrets that you've made of even your darkest secrets that not even your loved ones to this day knows maybe the the history on your on your internet maybe your shameful thoughts maybe maybe the things that you've said about others behind their backs, or under your breath. Let's let's just say you're walking around and you have that screen above you and everybody can see all those things about you. And if you're anything like me, if there was a reality like that, what I would want to do is I'd want to run away, crawl into a hole, and never come out. Are you with me? The answer is probably yes, because it doesn't matter who you are. If you are sitting in these seats, if you're me, uh, we actually, though there's no real TV, there are things that people don't know about. We are walking around, though we don't have this this imaginary TV screen uh, of failures, uh, of shame, of hurts, of mistakes, of regrets that are actually hidden and nobody knows about. Uh, I would argue that those are the things that we would consider demons in our lives. We all have demons that we have to deal with. This is what it means when people say, we have our demons. And, And what I would say, the worst part of having this TV screen uh, or, or these demons within us, is that always, even throughout Scripture, what we see is that demons always do two things. It leads us into shame, and ultimately the shame leads us into isolation. Shame and isolation. Listen to this, I, and I just read this. In verse 26 and 27 of the chapter we read, it says, Then they arrived uh, to the country of Gerasenes, which is opposite the side of Galilee, and he stepped out on land. A man of the city who had demons met him. So here's a man uh, of that city who had demons met with Jesus, and this is how, he, uh, how the Bible, how Luke uh, describes this man. He says, for a long time he had worn no clothes. This is very intentional. He says he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house, but in the tombs. So here's this man who was possessed by the by the demons by legion Uh, and the way he's described is first of all he's naked all right not just naked during this time but as a possessed man he just felt like he didn't need to have clothes he didn't have clothes uh, and he was naked and he lived essentially in the graveyard in the tombs amongst the dead, not amongst the alive people, not in a community where he can interact with people, where he can be vulnerable with people, where he could play with people, where he can just be with people. He lived in the tombs. So he had worn no clothes. Anytime someone is naked in the scriptures or there's allusion to no clothing, it always is in reference to shame. And we see it all the way from the beginning of time when Adam and Eve, when they had fallen short, when they ate of the fruit, when they sinned, immediately what they felt was shame. In their nakedness, they felt like they had to cover up. So immediately, what we see is uh, when, when before the fall, God created all things, and they were, and it said in chapter two, it says Adam and Eve were both naked and unashamed. Now, the result of the fall, the result of the demons inside of them, is that no longer do they feel shameless due to the within their nakedness. Now, in their nakedness, they feel shame. And so here in Luke chapter 8, when the writer says, here's this man who's demon-possessed. He was naked. What that is saying is, man, this this guy, more than anybody else, felt shame. Felt shame. And this shame led him into isolation. He didn't want to be around people. It was very intentional that he says he was naked, uh, and he lived in the tombs amongst the dead. Almost as if he was an animal, a lesser human. There's shame. There's isolation. And again, when we have these things that we would consider demons within us, the things that would be on your screen. Oftentimes, and you've experienced this yourselves, who I've experienced this myself, is that ultimately those things on our screens above our head that leads us to always shame and isolation. Exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. And, and throughout all the scripture, nakedness has to do with shame. These demons, even within ourselves, lead us into a place of shame and isolation. And we don't want to be found out. That's the last thing we want. We don't want to be found out. We don't want others to know our flaws. We fear people will actually know and see our brokenness. And so due to that shame, what do we do? We go into hiding. And so the question of the day as we continue is this. What are your demons? What are the things that would appear on that screen above your head? And the reality is we all have them. And the reality is we all have them and it drives us not only into shame but into darkness, which we would call isolation. But what we would see, and here's the second point, is that within that darkness, in our isolation, in our shame, that Christ shines light and puts exposure on the things that we hide from others. And it's that light, when it's shined upon the places of our brokenness, the very things that we would never share, the things that we would never talk about, when we invite Jesus into that, Jesus shines his light, and there's a, there's, there's a healing, there's a transformation. Something happens where the exposure of our brokenness and now is in the light, and something happens. And I love what you hear in the next verse says, for Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man and it says this, for many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound. Here we go, this, this is important. He was bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus asked him, what is your name? He said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. I love where it says, it says that this man who was possessed by the demons was kept under guard. because He might have been a danger. He might have posed a threat to others. And so the guards, what they would do is they would, they would bind him with chains, it says, and shackles. But that was very temporary. Well, what happened is that this person would end up breaking the shackles, would break the chains, and he would run wild again. Before Jesus intervened on his behalf in this story, it sounded like there was every attempt to, uh, to suppress or, or to transform this person's life through other measures other than what God has to offer. And what we see is that it didn't work. Here's this man who's dealing with demons. He was chained, he was shackled in order to suppress those demons within him. And what happens a little bit later? It says that he just breaks them. It was too powerful. And he breaks them and he runs wild. And I look at that story, and as we deal with our own demons, the things that are above our heads that maybe people can see into your lives, the secrets, the hiddenness that we would never share with others, when we try to deal with those alone, what happens? Oftentimes we fall a little bit deeper into that darkness. When we try to fix by ourselves uh, things that are so powerful, these demons in our lives that we couldn't actually possibly fix or deal with on our own, when we try to do that, it eventually doesn't work. Just like in this story, where there's this man dealing with demons. Uh, They shackled him and and chained him, thinking, okay, well, now we don't have to deal with that anymore. See you later. What happens? He breaks out of them. It wasn't powerful powerful enough. It wasn't strong enough. And so as we recognize, and you don't even have to say this out loud, as we recognize the demons that we're struggling with, those hidden secrets, the hidden pains, the hidden flaws, are you trying to deal with those yourself? Are you keeping those from the people that you love? Are you keeping secrets from the people around you? And what we understand is the more and more we try to take care of those things, those darkness on our own, it actually doesn't get better. It actually gets worse. And I love the words of of Martin Luther King Jr. He says, darkness cannot drive out darkness, but only light can do that. But oftentimes, when we deal with our own demons, we like to put a Band-Aid over it. Try to pretend it never happened. Try to sweep it under the rug. Or just try to forget about it. Or we tell each other, uh, tell ourselves lies. We're saying, well, I can stop at any moment. Or we find ways to justify, to say, what I'm doing, my behavior, my destructive actions, my hurt for others, it's okay because of this reason. And what we realize is those are just lies that we tell ourselves. And the darkness just gets... Deeper and deeper and deeper. And maybe uh, other ways that we put band-aids on it is by distracting ourselves. Well, maybe we need to make more money. Maybe uh, we go to relationships. Maybe other distractions or maybe money, maybe upward mobility, maybe reputation, maybe fame. Whatever it is, we find distractions. And again, what we realize is it just doesn't work. What we realize, uh, even the story in Luke chapter 8, is that the real healing, the real, absolute, authentic healing comes when and only when we invite Jesus into our darkest moments, into our darkest places. And and maybe uh, you're sitting here and and you're saying, man, I've tried it all. I try to deal with my own brokenness. I try to deal with my own shame. I try to deal with my own isolation and my own hurt and my own secrets. And what happens is nothing. I might feel better for a day or two with these temporary band-aids, but what we see in the scriptures is that the only way you can be set free and healed is when we actually invite Jesus in to shine light in that dark place. And maybe you're new to faith. And if you're new to faith, and maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what, Prentice? The things that I've tried just hasn't worked. Or maybe you are a follower of Christ for years. And you've fallen off and saying, all right, in my darkness, in, in, in these demons, what I'm going to do is put a temporary band-aid on it. And what I'm asking you to do is consider inviting Jesus into even your darkest and most shameful Then maybe the healing, as we see in this man, maybe the healing, maybe the joy, maybe the transformation can happen even today. Even today, as Jesus wants to enter into that darkness and shine light on it. Because even notice uh, that Legion, the man uh, with the demons possessed, uh, Jesus and Legion, aka the demons, they kind of had a conversation, it sounds like. There was this negotiating where the demons understand the power of Jesus. And and he says, Jesus, whatever you do, please do not throw me into the abyss. And for a moment as I'm reading the scriptures, Jesus says, okay, I won't do that. Because you asked, I won't do that. And, and still does something else. Throws him, throws him in the pig. I'm not sure how much better that is. Uh, but he kind of honored what the demons have asked him to do. And there's a sense of compassion. There's a sense of compassion. I mean, maybe I'm re- reading a little bit too much into it, but there's a sense of compassion uh, for this man who was possessed. Who had, uh, experiencing his own demons. And, and so, maybe what this suggests is that even as we face our own demons, our own secrets and our own shames, our own isolation, that when we invite Jesus to meet us there, Jesus meets us with compassion. Not with anger, not with what did you do, not with how dare you, but Jesus meets us with this level of of compassion. And what we see is that Christ What he brings is the light. And it's the light that always, light always overcomes darkness. I mean, have you ever been in a power outage? When maybe all the lights go off uh, and you're sitting at night in the pitch black room. And you light a tiny little candle. And what we see is that when we light that tiny little candle, it lights up the entire room. Darkness cannot hide when there's light. And so, what are the areas that we consider demons in our own lives that that cause us to, to run away, that cause us to be in shame, that we don't invite anybody into, not even Jesus? What are those areas in our lives? Because we all have them. We all have the screen with the things that we don't want people to see. And and what I'm encouraging you, what I'm arguing is that even in those moments, if you want to experience healing, if you want to experience uh, a freedom from those things that are holding us into isolation and shame, I promise you, the little distractions that you use will not work. Money will not work. Relationships will not work. Addictions will not work. Even friendships will not work. The only thing that we see that works through Luke chapter 8 is when Christ enters and intervenes and shines light on his darkness. It was very intentional when it said, uh, yeah, we try to put him in shackles. We try to put him uh, in, in chains and it just didn't work. It may have held the demons down for a little bit, but then the demons uh, went through him and he went wild. Have you asked Jesus to intervene? Again, whether you're a brand new Christian, whether you're not a Christian, my encouragement to you is this. In those times of darkness, where you're just wrestling with those demons that we all do, even I do to this day, will you ask Jesus to intervene and meet you right where you're at? Because I can promise you, when Jesus meets you in your darkness, he brings light, and nothing can be hidden from the light. And Jesus brings healing with compassion. With compassion. So then the question is, and it sounds like a silly question, but bear with me here the question is, do you want to be healed? Will you invite Christ into that dark place? Later on in in John chapter 5. There was a story about a paralyzed man who, I don't know how far, I would imagine maybe 10, 20 feet away is this pool, uh, a swimming pool that that believed to have healing powers. And that legend had it during that time is that if you went to the pool with any uh, ailment, especially a physical ailment, you would be healed through those waters. And so you can imagine how much of a traffic jam that would be. There's everyone day in, day out uh, would enter and try to go into uh, the pool. And here's this paralyzed man who I would imagine is doing everything he could to get to that pool because he wanted to be healed. And yet the story says for years he tried to reach that pool, just 20 feet from here to there. For years he just tried to reach that pool for healing, and Jesus comes to save the day. My imagination is that Jesus would pick him up, walk him over to the pool, put him in the pool, and put his healing hands upon him. But instead of that, Jesus goes to that man and asks, in my mind, kind of a silly question. Jesus asks these questions Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And my imagination says, Are you kidding me? He's paralyzed. He's been by the pool. Why wouldn't he want to get? Of course he wants to get well. But Jesus understands it takes work. Jesus understands that uh, it requires vulnerability. Jesus understands it requires you surrendering what you have and allowing people through Jesus come into your life and even know what you're wrestling with. Know what's on the screen above your head. And so this question uh, that Jesus has, this paralyzed man, do you want to get well? That's not a rhetorical question. That's actually a really good question. And so the question I have for all of us, including myself, is do you want to get well? In your darkness, and when you wrestle with your demons, do you want to be healed? That is a fair question because if the answer is yes, it's gonna require a lot of work. It's gonna require a lot of work. When I was um, in seminary, Part of my seminary task was to be a chaplain at a prison. And, and so every week I would go into the, the prison system uh, and I would uh, host uh, kind of church services. And these were the people that wanted to, you know, change their lives, to repent, to, to, to acknowledge the things that they've done wrong. And I remember talking to one prison guard, and he says, that guy over there, you see him? I said, yeah. I said, well, he's going to get out next week. And I said, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Congratulations to him. He's going to be out of prison. He's been locked up for years, and he gets to experience freedom next week. And the prison guard kind of like dampens my mood and says, we'll see him later. I said, well, you don't know that. You don't know that you'll see this guy later. I mean, wouldn't you? If you were in prison for years and years and years, he gets free. Wouldn't you do whatever it takes to stay out because he's experienced this? Why would you say that? And he says, statistically, and I don't know how much this has changed since then, 76% of inmates, he says, will be back within the first five years of his freedom or her freedom. He says, 76% of the people that are released from prison uh, within five years will come back. And I thought, why? why? Why would they do such a thing? And he would say, because it's, it's too much work out there to stay clean, to obey the law, to not get wrapped up in, in, in the old friendships. It takes work. It's easier to go back into that lifestyle, he says. And that lifestyle, uh, as a result, will bring them back into prison. And so for many of us, we may not be in this physical prison, but we sure love our comfort zones, don't we? We sure love our routines, don't we? We sure love the the habits and the secrets that we have, and, and maybe to even continue doing them because it gives us a sense of pleasure. Of uh, fulfillment, though temporary, I promise you, though temporary, we do that. Because that's our comfort zone. And when Jesus is saying, just do you want to get well? Because if you do, it's gonna take work. It's gonna require me, this is what Jesus is saying, is it requires me to enter into your life and to do some restoration and to do some serious reconstruction. And in our uh, world where we hunger for power and control, that's a difficult task. That's a difficult task. I developed this, well, I'm trying to develop this new habit. I got this journal uh, from Amazon. It's called the Five Minute Journal. It's a really cool, cool way if you're not much of a journaler. I'm not a huge journaler. Uh, but I saw the tagline, it takes five minutes. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm sold. <coughs> so in that, uh, t- during that time when you journal within these five minutes, there's a series of questions, the same questions that are asked every single morning. What are, one of the questions is, what are three things that you're thankful for? And so you'd write down the three things that you're thankful for. And then there's a couple of the questions, but then you'd go about your day. And for me, having this journal where I had to recognize the three things that I was thankful for uh, actually worked. Even when I was upset or even when I felt entitled, even when I felt like there was something going on, I would actually revert back to what I wrote uh, in that morning of the three things that I've been thankful for. And it would cause me to say, okay, well, well, it's okay. I can get over it. Or it it continues to keep me medium, keeps me in a good mood, keeps me going. And then at night, uh, it says, well, reflect. What would you have changed? Or, or can you affirm, you know, what happened? What's your identity? And so you would write that down, and then you go, you go to bed, and you would do that cycle day in, day out. But I remember uh, a few weeks ago that I was going through a lot of stress, maybe from work and relation, and all these things that were, were happening in my life. Uh, and I decided when I, I, I was so bitter and so upset with just everything that was going on, I looked at that journal, and I, and I looked at those questions, and I actually, instead of doing it, I closed it, and I put it away. And the reason I did that is because I didn't want to acknowledge the things that I was thankful for. I wanted to remain bitter. I wanted to remain frustrated. I wanted to remain angry. And so, you know what? I, I, I kind of had this conversation with myself. I said, I'm not going to write down the three things that I'm grateful for because I know it's going to change my mood. I know it. And so I didn't, because it was way easier and more comfortable for me to live as a a bitter person, during this week especially, as frustrated, as upset. That was way more comfortable. And how many of us do that? We have our demons. We have the things that we wrestle with. Again, it could be the things that you don't want anyone to know. We all have them. And Christ wants to come and bring healing that only Christ, only Jesus can do. Only Jesus can do. And are you willing to allow Jesus to come in and do a complete renovation in your souls? Or would you rather remain chained and shackled? In verse 37, uh, people saw what happened and it said the people asked Jesus to leave. Here's these people, imagine, these people saw Jesus heal this man that was demon-possessed and so the people saw what had happened and said, Jesus, we need you to get it, we need you to leave. You're no longer welcome here. And so for us, not only do we not invite Jesus uh, and not only do we want to do the work for the healing of our brokenness and our demons, we're confronted by it because we know that Jesus can do it. Just like these people, they they saw that Jesus can heal and they wanted no part of it. They said, Jesus, you need to leave. Man, how many of us do just that? And let me just tell you this. We all have our own demons. And our demons and God, they need to have a conversation. They need to have a conversation. and Because here's what happens. Number three is this. Uh, there's exposure that Jesus brings, brings healing and redemption. In, in Luke chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, it says, The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with them. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. I mean, you can see what's happening is that after this man is healed, he says, okay, Jesus, there's these demons that I was dealing with. And, I, and, and everything was done to try to heal me of it, but it didn't work. But yet, Jesus, you came in, you changed everything, and so now I want to follow you. Jesus, wherever you go, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no, you're not coming with me go back to your i love it. it says go back to your home and declare how much god has done for you see what we see is this, is a transformation and the transformation that we see is that the very thing uh, that was bringing a, a, a death a, a detriment a, a pain the very thing that brought him that pain in his life God, through Jesus, what Jesus did was transform that, where that very thing that brought death now actually brings life. Not to only himself, but to others. The very things that he deemed as the demons, the very things that was causing him failure and shame, was the very thing that God used to bring healing to his home. Who else in his home has have dealt with Demons. They're telling me to hurry up. But this is important. Demons, you will not have any part of this. Now stay with me here because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land this. How many times do we try to deal with these demons in our lives in ways that are unhealthy and destructive? And yet what we know is that those are the very, that we, the very things that we try to hide are the very things that when it becomes in light, God uses to bring healing. I mean, we see this in our own lives, right? Like, we have things that we feel ashamed of. We have experiences that have truly hurt us. And, and yet in some crazy way, God uses those very things that once brought us shame to deliver healing and blessing to others. Here's what I'm trying to say. The things that we once deemed as baggage, I hate that word, by the way, because, uh, well, for many reasons. But, but things that we've deemed as baggage in our lives, God transforms into a story. So no longer do we have baggage, we have a story. And stories are meant to be shared and it's those stories that what you've been through and the demons that you've wrestled with and the demons that you've been delivered from are the very things that God wants to expose and wants you to say it out loud so people can say, I've, I've experienced that. And then all of a sudden there's solidarity. And then all of a sudden there's a pathway for Jesus to come in and do a renovation on other people. And I'll just end with this story. I mean, I I saw this. I was reading this article in NPR a couple years ago where this man, he uh, was a white supremacist. And through his hatred towards the African-American community, this white man, he kills a a young girl. And after that, he gets locked up. He's in prison for for many years. uh, And then he gets out. This is a crazy story. He gets out, and what he realizes after several months, even though he still has that anger and that hatred, wherever that came from, he's living in kind of a duplex uh, uh, house. And what he realizes is that next door, next door lives the mother of the little girl that he killed. And what he realizes uh, is that uh, first, uh, the story said that it took months before them to, for them to even say hi. Then they discovered, you know, what happened. And, and this mother's love and compassion and forgiveness built a bridge to a relationship, a friendship. And, and so for years and years, they've been getting to know each other. And, and slowly, the demons that he had of his hatred and anger towards this community has been suppressed there's light that shot, that was shined on it and no longer was he experienced that kind of hatred, that kind of violence, that kind of anger towards the African community. They end up being friends. And what he vowed to do from that article is now he goes into his community. And it says, I love this. He says, he goes, he said, return to your home. So for me, this is what he did. This, this white supremacist, former white supremacist guy, returns to his home to his fellow white supremacist people, to his fellow white community and says, hey, guys, racism is alive. Racism is wrong. There's no reason why we should be doing this. There's such thing as white privilege. There's such thing as systemic, uh, systemic racism. And there's such thing as violence. There's things that we don't need to do. And so what you see here is that the very hurt that he caused people, the very shame, the demons that he had as a former white supremacist, uh, God shined light on that, brought healing towards that hatred through this mother, and, and said, now, now, God says, use that, use your experience, use what once held you down, use what used once was demons in your lives to go back to your home, To tell them that you were wrong. And to do something and to move and to create beauty and to create healing, to create love with one another. What have you been through? What are your demons? I know this is going to be very challenging and very difficult But whatever those those are, would you consider, A, allowing Jesus to come in and have a conversation with those demons, transform those demons to bring you healing, and will you do this? Will you use those former dealings that you've wrestled with, and will you go back home? Here's what I mean by that. Will you reach out to the people that may be experiencing the same thing? Have you been through hurt? Reach out to someone that's been hurt. Have you ever hated somebody? Reach out to those very people. Have you ever been in a position of power? Reach out to the people that are powerful and, and tell them about a better way of doing it. What are those things? I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And as you consider, we're going to, we're going to go into a time of response through communion, And when Jesus was nailed on that cross, I love these words. He says, it is finished. The demons that you wrestle with, it's finished. It's finished. The things that bring you shame and isolation, he says, I want to give you rest. Jesus says, let me come into those spaces, those darkest spaces in your life. And I come with compassion, is what Jesus says. I want to do a work. I want to heal you. I want to free you from the the things that have kept you down. From the things that you try to cover up with band-aids. It doesn't work. Only Jesus can bring us that healing from our demons and our innermost demons part of that equation Jesus says will you take that story and will you share it will you be vulnerable will you be shameless and as difficult as it may be will you share your story you know another word for that confession confession Will will you confess that story to others there's something about confession that brings us freedom isn't there I mean, have you ever kept a secret? Have you ever, or have you ever done something wrong where you, well, you kept it a secret and you didn't want to tell anybody because you were so ashamed and you ran away, metaphorically, physically, you, you ran away. And there was a point, there was a breaking point where you said, I can't handle this anymore. I just need to tell somebody. And though there might be repercussions, the consequences, hurt, pain, there's a sense of Freedom because you confessed and so I'm gonna invite the uh, communion service forward and, and I'm gonna ask us to do an inventory first of all the table is, in, is welcome You're, it's, the invitation to the table is for everyone and, and when you grab the, the bread and dip it into the juice it, it, it's identifying a solid, it's uh, being in solidarity with Jesus' death and resurrection saying you know what my demons are put to death And I've experienced new life. And we take that breath, And we experience freedom. And we vow to share the story. Because we know that the very things that cause us pain and hurt are the very things that are going to bring other people life, healing. And we get to be a part of that only the things that Christ can do. Be shameless. Be vulnerable. Open up. Let Christ in. Let Christ do the work. We all need it because we all experience our own demons.